For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Amen. Thank you so much, choir and praise group. I, you know, I got to give Ken something to complain about every, every day. So I get, a, I get a little phone call every day from Ken Burton complaining about something. Well, today he comes in all mad because they've asked his entire family to sing and not him. I didn't have the heart to tell him that that was in response to a petition that was passed around by the church. But there we go. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John 4. We're beginning a new study today, a new, a new message series called True Worship. We've been talking about, for the last couple of weeks, really how the church can become the church. We talked about our worship, we talked about our Bible study, we talked about our discipleship and accountability groups and those kind of things, and all that led to this, to this, uh, to this, uh, the, the, the ultimate way that the church is the church, and that is through discipleship, right? That is through evangelism and, and discipleship and, and disciples making disciples and call replication. We talked about that, us replicating each other. That's God's plan to get the message of the gospel to the nations, and so we're going to start over the next several weeks to taking a look at worship. Taking a look at worship. You saw on the video various acts of worship. What you didn't see was a lot of stuff going on within the walls of this building because our worship is far more than what takes place here. This is a component of our worship. But what takes place outside in our, in our homes, in our schools, in our families, everything we do is an act of worship. And we have to start looking at it that way, that what we do, we do to the glory of God. And if we do it to the glory of God, it becomes our act of worship. But let me ask you this, what do you think about when you hear the word worship? What do you think about? Do you think about a service? Do you think about music? You think about a, a quiet time in a, in a quiet place, Bible study, maybe, serving others. Maybe there's something else that I haven't mentioned that when you think of the word worship, what image comes to your mind? Well, the answer is yes to all the things that we've talked about. Those things and, and, and so much, much more. It is the essence of our creation. My guess is whatever we think, it's a really small view of worship. It doesn't begin to cover everything that worship is or, or that it should be. Over 450 years ago, John Calvin said, we should consider it the great end of our existence to be found numbered among the worshipers of God. When you thought about worship, did you think about it being the great end of your existence? Did you think about worship being the essence of who you are? That's the, the great end of your existence. If not, I think we probably need to expand our understanding of what it really means to worship God in spirit and in truth. Most of us don't give the, the concept or the idea of the great end of our existence too much thought. I mean, our duties during the day, our distractions, our joys, our trials, our temptations in this life are, are more than sufficient to keep our minds occupied for every moment. 
But to consider eternity, gosh, so often we just don't have the time to consider eternity. But I think Calvin's words are just as relevant to us today as they were when he said them so long ago. He's encouraging us to see this as our highest goal. See worship as our highest goal, our loftiest aim, the great purpose of our existence. Better than having all the power, all the wealth, or the talent, the intelligence, or the pleasure we could ever imagine is being a worshiper of God forever. That is the greatest thing that we can aspire to. It's the greatest thing that we can imagine. To be a worshiper. Maybe you've been overcome with gratefulness, with gratitude to God as we sing here in this place. Maybe you've sensed God's presence so strongly at times that you wanted just to kneel down in silence. Have you ever been in a worship service where you were just overwhelmed with the presence of God? The presence of the Spirit was so great that you were moved you understood what the writer of that hymn was meaning when he said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. You ever been in one of those? Gosh, I have so many times. But have you ever, have you ever, have you ever been there? You ever been in the middle of reading your Bible one morning or one evening, whatever you do it, and it just struck you how amazing Jesus is? And how because of that you were totally undone. You were totally undone by just, the, the, just the, the idea of how amazing Jesus is. What he did for me and for you. What he taught us. What he has for us. Maybe while you were studying or working hard or caring for a friend, you realized that, that you were doing whatever it was you were doing for God's glory. Felt so good. You know, you, you, whatever. And I guess that, that's one of the things that we need to, we need to really kind of get our, get our minds around is that whatever we do, isn't that, what, isn't that what the Bible tells us? Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. You ever just been struck by that? Whatever you're doing at that moment, you're doing for the glory of God? praying with somebody, studying. I used to have a bad attitude about some of my classes. I know, folks, I know y'all probably don't think anything about that. Y'all probably embraced all of your classes in school and everything else. But I used to have a really bad attitude about some of my classes. I didn't understand their importance. I didn't understand why I needed to know that. Or, or you know, I thought there were maybe more important things that I should learn. And then, you know, I was gripped with the idea that this is part of the everything that I do. And so whatever I do, I should do to the glory of God, and that includes studying. It includes working. It includes engaging in family. It includes having friends. Your hobbies. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God. And when we get that right, we understand what it means to worship with everything we have. To worship in spirit and in truth. 
when you truly find yourself in worship, you're grateful that at least for the moment, at least for the moment, you are totally focused on who God is and who it is that has redeemed us. If you're a believer, you have been purchased. A price, a great price. Who did that? Jesus did it. Why? Because that was God's plan. We've been redeemed. And at those times, we think, yes, it is the great end of our existence to be numbered among the worshipers of God for all eternity. Worshiping God is so much more than just an act or a a location or, or an event. It's a way of life that prepares us for our eternity. However you define it, we can all still struggle at times with worshiping God on this side of heaven. We're just uh, maybe we can identify. I'm just going to give a couple of perspectives that, that, that we, could, we may have, and you may identify with some of those today. How about this one? Worshiping God is, is difficult, if not impossible, due to the things that are going on in our lives, the, str- the struggles we're having, unfulfilled hopes, ongoing suffering. Our experience seems to contradict God's goodness. And so because of what we've got going on in our lives, we're tempted sometimes to wonder how we can worship. Maybe every once in a while you're not totally clear on how Sunday morning worship relates to worship in everyday life. How does what we do here translate into the worship that is a part of our lives when we leave this place? Maybe you've seen tensions rise because of the music that a church is connected with worship. Conflicts erupt. Musicians might seek the spotlight. Churches split. You wonder if music might be overblown. Maybe you've seen the music connect with worship, connect with unbelievers, strengthen the impact of of biblical truth, deepen people's responses to God, and you wonder if maybe music is undervalued. The great end of our existence seems insignificant when it comes to the pressures, demands, and responsibilities you face everybody. Maybe you say, look, preacher, I understand what you're saying, but I just can't worry about the great end of my existence because I've got things going on right now, today, in my life that are taking up and squeezing out all of my time. i got to focus on those things. I can't focus on great philosophical thoughts about the great end of my existence and what that is. Don't you listen just just for a minute. We can have no higher goal. We can have no higher goal than to take our place among those people who revel. They revel unceasingly, joyfully, wholeheartedly, and eternally in our great and awesome God. We can have no greater mission in life. We can have no greater purpose in life than to be counted among those people who worship God with everything we have. That's where every Christian's headed according to Revelation 22.3. says there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Some translations uh, 
don't use the word serve, they use the word worship. And that's right too because our worship is an act of service. So if eternal worship is where we're headed, if we're headed to a place where we're going to spend an eternity worshiping God in His presence, worshiping Him, what does it mean for us now? What does it even really mean to be a worshiper of God? Well, that's where we're headed in this conversation. Over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at that, where we're going to try to answer those questions. And to get us started this morning, I, want to, I just wanted to drop in on a conversation that took place 2,000 years ago. If you've opened your Bibles to John 4, let's just take a look in on that beginning in, in verse, in verse uh, 7. It's a sweltering, dusty day somewhere in the Middle East, and Jesus is thirsty. He's thirsty. He sits down at a well to wait for a woman from Samaria he's never met. And what does he say in verse 7 to this woman? Four words. Give me a drink. Give me a drink. He says to her, it's a simple request, but those four words crossed religious, ethnic, and moral lines that had been in place for centuries. The woman was totally shocked that this man would be talking to her. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. He says that. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? And she has a good reason to wonder that. She has a good reason to ask that question. Back in the 8th century B.C., some 800 years before this conversation took place, the kingdom of Assyria conquered the Samaritans. And when they did that, they brought in idol worship from other nations. They brought in other people from other nations to intermarry with these people who were originally Jews. And since that time, the rest of the Jews have considered Samaritans to be half-breeds, religious mutts if you will. There were people that were supposed to be avoided. You didn't pursue those people if you were a, a good Jew. You didn't go after those people. In fact, you went out of your way to avoid the Samaritan if you were a Jew. They used an, an edited Bible. They worshipped God at a different temple. And on top of that, Jesus was a man. Jewish men are never supposed to be overly familiar with women. And speaking to a woman alone would look very superstitious. I mean, I'm sorry, suspicious. Might have been superstitious too. But definitely suspicious. So everything that this woman knew about Jews, everything that Jesus was as a Jewish man, were set aside because of four words. Give me a drink. But Jesus, in spite of all of that, was undeterred by what the conventions of the day were. Verse 10 says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, then you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Jesus doesn't answer her questions. He's not even asking her for a drink anymore. He's offering her one. 
She's the one who needs a drink, a drink of, of living water. He tells her if she drinks from the water he offers, she shall never thirst. And then Jesus goes on during this conversation to make an, a really uncomfortably perceptive comment about this woman's home life. Look at verse 18. This is after he says, go get your husband and bring him back and we can talk. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you've answered right. Look at verse 18. You have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. It's not often a man that you just meet kind of unveils the scandalous details of your life. So she says, huh, I perceive you must be a prophet. You know a little too much about me having never met me before. Maybe if he is, he can answer a question that's divided Jews and Samaritans for centuries. It's a question about worship. Chapter 4, verse 20 says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, meaning Jesus and the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. At this point, the woman may be trying to kind of deflect the conversation. I'm sure none of us have ever done that. When we get into an uncomfortable conversation, we try to shift it to something else we'd rather talk about. Maybe she really wants an answer to the question of the right place of worship. Either way, why she asked it doesn't matter because Jesus answers it. He says, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus tells her, you see, that her knowledge of worship is incredibly lacking. Earthly geography, where we worship, Jesus says, is a fading category. It's not important. She doesn't even know how to ask this question. She doesn't even know the one she claims to worship. And that's after he's already introduced to her the disconnect between her life and the religion that she professes. Because she was not living a life that modeled her faith, whatever that faith was. Her life did not reflect that. Jesus goes on, and this is where we are today in verse 23 of, of chapter 4 when we talk about what real worship looks like. Jesus says this, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Spirit and truth? The Father seeks? The typical Jesus response, isn't it? It's unexpected, it's mysterious, and it contains a meaning far beyond his conversation with this woman, meaning which reaches you and me where we are. The fact that Jesus had this conversation with an immoral woman from an obscure village really should tell us something about what we're getting ready to learn, that God isn't seeking worshipers only from the significant or popular people. He's not just looking for worshipers among the successful and the powerful people. The God of our creation, the maker of the universe, is seeking true worshipers, authentic worshipers, from among us all. doesn't matter 
where we come from. What matters to God is where we're going. And that is the essence of worship. But why is God seeking something or, or someone? I mean, surely the, the all-knowing, all-seeing God doesn't lose things. I mean, it's not as though a, a self-sufficient God has any needs, right? God is not seeking worshipers because he has a need that has to be filled. Why do we look for anything? We seek what's important to us, right? We look for things that are important to us. We seek what has value. And God is seeking true worshipers because true worship matters to God. True worship matters to Him. How we do it, why we worship, the content of our worship, the extent of our worship, the way it it just envelops who we are matters to God. For those of us who think worship primarily in terms of a musically driven emotional experience, Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman really ought to be uh, eye-opening for us. Because it's not about that. Jesus is talking about true worshipers. And he doesn't mention music or an event or a service. doesn't mention that even once. Not one time. Can we find out what it means to be a true worshiper and not talk about those things? Well, apparently we can Apparently, we can know what it means to be a true worshiper without discussing those things that are most common to us when we think about it. True worshipers, Jesus told this woman, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And he went on to say that God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So broadly speaking, when it, worship in spirit And in truth is worship that springs from a sincere heart. It lines up with the truth of God's Word. It is not where we are. It is not even what we say. Are we lining up with the truth in the Word of God? Or do we deviate from that in some way? For those of us, well, there's more to what Jesus is saying, though. New Testament scholar and writer D.A. Carson says this, to worship God in truth, to worship God in truth, is first and foremost a way of saying that we must worship God by means of Christ. In Him the reality is dawned and the shadows are being swept away. Does our worship begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ? It has to. That is the truth of our existence. That is the truth of our relationship with God, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for us on the cross, our response to that, dictates the terms of our relationship with God. And worship, if if it is nothing else, is an experience or an expression of a relationship that we have with God. Jesus is the one who gives the life-giving spirit. Jesus is the one who produces rivers of living water in a believer's soul. The Spirit who brings life to our spirits and and, and enables us to know and and love and worship God the Father through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the one who gives that to us. You want to worship God in spirit and in truth? It begins with knowing Jesus, with having him as a, as a part of your, your life, as having him as a part of your heart, of giving him complete and total control of your lives. My life, yours, the believer. In other words, if you, in order to worship God, if you've got to have Jesus, and because we have Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it all possible, it takes God to worship God. We can't worship God without having God in us. We can't worship God without having an experience with God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the Samaritan woman not only that the Father was seeking true worshipers, but that he came to make her one. See, her story is the story of every true worshiper. We begin, we begin by acknowledging our total inability to worship God unless he draws us to himself and unless he reveals himself through his word. We have to interact and encounter God to worship. We're going to be a church that's on fire, a church that does things for the kingdom, a church that, is, that is, is bold and is moving and is active and is reaching and is witnessing, then we have got to be a church that experiences God. Are we experiencing Him? The essence of worshiping God, then, is exalting God in our words, in our hearts, and in our actions do we consider our actions worship? I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I, I, I try to be a fair person. A couple of weeks ago, I called out the guys. Okay? And I want to brag today. There was a family in our church that needed some help. Needed some help moving put out a call into the deacon body. And ten guys showed up to help move those folks. Probably never considering that what they were doing that yesterday morning was an act of worship. But being the church for someone is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Taking care of someone in their need is an act of worship. Loving somebody enough to give of yourself is an act of worship. Simply being there is an act of worship. And I thank those guys for doing what they did Not just because it helped out a family, but because they were the church in action. The church in action. An act of worship. Worship is ultimately about God. He wants to receive the glory as we serve others with our gifts. 
In fact, there's one, that's one of the primary reasons we gather together. As we exercise our gifts, God is in our midst, building us up both as individuals and as the church. You see, we cannot grow as individuals in Christ and not bring it into the church when we gather together to grow the body of Christ in spiritual maturity, in action. We worship out of the abundance of God's love for us. That's that's why we worship. Because God has been so good to us. God has been so good to us. Better to us than, of course, we deserve. Because we know that. We know, uh, those of us us who who have, have had an encounter with Jesus Christ understand that what we deserve is punishment. What we deserve is is death. The wages of sin is death. And we are nothing if not sinners. But Jesus Christ came to change that by taking that penalty on himself. So, out of an abundance of his love for us, we worship him. J.D. Greer writes, love for God grows out of an experience of beholding the love of God. We burn, he says, only as we behold. Are we burning for God this morning? Are we burning for him? You see, worship is about really coming to to know God. Worship is the fuel that lights the fire of evangelism, of discipleship, of missions. It's about who we are as Christians. Teacher and author Mark Leiterback remarks this, every moment of our personal lives is meant to be a convergence of personal worship of the King and a personal effort to expand His kingdom. Every moment of our life together as the body is meant to be a convergence of corporate worship of the King and a communal effort to enjoy and expand His kingdom here and blossom it in an ever-increasing eternity of joy. What he's trying to say is that every moment of our existence, whether we are alone or whether we are together as the body of Christ, is a convergence of worship and effort. We worship God, and because we worship Him, we give. We give of ourselves, our time, our resources, our talents, whatever whatever it is that God has blessed us with, we give because of our worship. I want us to see worship for what it truly is. That's God's activity among us. It's a recognition. It's a, it's a, a celebration of what He has done for us. The words that Jesus had for the Samaritan woman helps us to see That worship begins with God's extravagant grace and not our earnest efforts. He shows us that He is at the center of true worship. However much our thinking may be sidetracked by by our personal preferences or our emotional experiences or religious traditions, that's not what worship is about. Worship should center on God. It should center on the person of Jesus Christ. He introduces us to the unseen realities that that fulfill us deeply and and on an an eternal level. It frees us from the bondage that we have to things that we can see that satisfy us only for a little while here on earth. God wants to give us a satisfaction that is eternal, not something that comes and goes. I want us to let Jesus radically alter our understanding of worship. Christian 
songwriter and worship leader Matt Papa observed, greater knowledge of God is useless unless it is for the greater worship of God. Why are we learning about God? Why are we studying? Why do we... Why do we spend time in study to learn more about God so that we can so that we can grow if it doesn't lead us to greater worship? How can we learn more about the great and mighty and awesome God if it doesn't drive us to greater worship? That's what I want us to take a look at over the next several weeks is how can we be driven to greater worship? How can we move from where we are I was talking to Hazel about that just before church started. Sometimes we spend so much time in the pews that we don't get out of the pews to do what God has called us to do. Worship. So the next couple of weeks, I want us to take a look at how do we get out of the pews and how do we get into the community? How do we get into the Word? How do we get into uh, our families and our friends and those types of relationships that we have? How do we get into that with activity that shows our worship for Almighty God. It is the great end of our existence. As we learn more about God, I pray that it drives us to worship Him deeper and and stronger and more passionately, more intimately. And it becomes not just what we do, but it's who we become. Let's become worshipers that worships with everything that we have. Let's let's do that together. Let's make it a part of who we are, not just what we do a couple of times a week. Let it become who we are. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't understand, but you really want this worship thing. You understand this worship thing, and that is, that is, 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 is giving praise and, 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 and adulation and, and glory to, to, to someone who has done something for, for me that I cannot possibly repay. Look, God has done that for you. If you are sitting here and you've not made a decision to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, to ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, to give Him your sins and your, your fears and your anxieties and your frustrations, He has done that for you, just like He did it for me and just like He did it for every believer who is sitting in this place, and every believer around the globe. He has done it for every one of us, and He will do it for you. In a moment, we're going to have a time where we're going to sing a song of invitation, and what that means is that if God is laying it on your heart to accept Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, to change you from the inside out, to make you somebody that... That, that you never thought you could be before, but that God always knew you could be, then now is the time. Don't wait another minute. Now is the time to ask Him into your heart. Now is the time to ask Him to be real for you and to give you the opportunity to worship Him with your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. Now is that moment. Now is the moment to make that choice, and that is what the invitation is. It's nothing more and nothing less than the time to respond to what God is doing in your heart right now. I hope you'll take that opportunity.
as we gather together. Father, I just, I just thank you so much for, for creating us for worship. God, I thank you for, for enabling us and, 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 get, and, and instilling us with, with a passion to make much of you, to lift you up, whether we're studying your word or whether we're singing your praises or whether we're at work or at home, whether we're uh, t- together or alone. God, help us to have a life that is spent in worship. Help us to look for every opportunity to worship. Help us to to realize that the little things that we do every day are beautiful acts of worship for a God who has done so much for us. Lord, we cannot possibly thank you for everything that you have done. But we can give our lives in service and in love missions and in ministry we can do that lord and every one of those things are not individual but they come together to create a life that is spent worshiping who you are and what you've done god help us to be those people in jesus name